Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. It's uh, Roxanne Durhaj. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Uh, this week I have a special guest, someone that I met a year ago uh, in Florida at a training that I was involved with with uh, um, a speaker coach um, and Mr. Logan Loomis. Hi, Logan. How are you today? I'm well, Roxanne. How are you? Good, good. And where are you today? I'm in my home in New Orleans. Oh, you're in New Orleans. Okay. So uh, Logan uh, is a management consultant and um, has been in the, in the management consulting field um, now for quite a while. So I'm going to have Logan tell you a little bit about his background and um, then we'll go from there. So Logan, tell, tell the listeners um, a little bit about your background. Well, I've had a, an interesting career journey. I actually began my career practicing law large New Orleans law firm for the better part of 10 years. And um, at, during that period, although I did primarily corporate work for a lot of it, um, I became, um, got a specialty in natural gas regulation and ultimately went in-house with one of our clients in the natural gas industry and um, as their regulatory lawyer. And one day they asked me to head up sales and marketing. And we built that company um, into an Inc. 100 company, one of the 100 fastest growing privately held companies in the U.S. And uh, from there, I was asked to build a company um, in the same genre, um, which I did as CEO for a number of years. And as the industry changed, I had gotten very, very um, um, curious and engaged around how you build high growth companies. And um, so in the early 90s, I started uh, a management consulting practice, which I've been doing now for the last 20 whatever plus years. Wow, interesting. So you and I um, met at a, a, a conference where we were both, uh, you're looking at, you're, you've been doing some uh, speaking in, uh, on the corporate end. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about um, your path in management. So when you, when you decided to become a lawyer, um, what made you want to go into management versus staying um, on, the, on the legal end? You know, I, I went into law with, as I think a lot of people do, with assumptions about what the law was. And ultimately, the practice of law was not highly interesting to me. I was very successful at it, but um, it was not something that I was really um, thoroughly engaged with. When um, the CEO of a company that I was working for um, asked me to head up sales and marketing, and I, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I'm, a, I'm your lawyer. And uh, he said, I know you're my lawyer. And if you want to stay our lawyer, you can, but um, we think you could uh, take us in the right direction in sales and marketing. And when I moved over to sales and marketing, I um, and it shouldn't have come as a great surprise to me because I actually worked part of my way through college selling. 
but um, it never occurred to me that I would be in sales. And so um, as, as I led that, that sales initiative, I found that I had, um, you know, it, it triggered passion in me and mm-hmm. joy in me. And that's when I really began to realize that if we really want great job fit, what we really need to have is to really enjoy the activities we're doing, not just be good at them. Because, you know, when you apply yourself and you do something repetitiously, you do get good at it, but that doesn't mean that that there's joy in it. And uh, so that was something that I, I began to understand is the connection between really enjoying the activities you're doing and developing real effectiveness in it. And about the year 2000, I was introduced to um, a new generation of assessment, the Harrison assessment. And one of the theories that um, that's based on is joy performance theory, that we tend to do the things we like to do, and the more we do them, the better we get at them. And so really connecting the the sense of what our, our qualities are, what we really enjoy to the activities in a job. And that's really helped me over the years as a management consultant get people aligned in the right jobs and develop areas where where they have natural strengths and and you know to speak to the concept of of joy like you know in a management uh instrument that's interesting right because generally kind of the perception is the bottom line and getting things done and being strategic and you know um but looking at joy from a different perspective you know i think of myself and um, when I'm joyful about doing something, um, I'm so completely in the moment that it doesn't feel like work. So I can imagine when you go out there and you do the Harrison uh, assessment tool with, um, say, let's say, C-level executives, are there a lot of misalignments with people in certain roles? And how does the assessment tool assist or not assist in that process? You do see a lot of misalignment. And a lot of times what I'm seeing is um, there's not as much misalignment as not being able to, um, not having developed some of the qualities that are going to make, particularly at the sea level, that are going to make them as good as they possibly can be. One of the things that we tend to do um, is we look at our eligibility for a job, our skill, experience, our training, and that tends to be very focused on what I think of as the business mechanics of growing a company. You know, strategy, technology, process, marketing. So all of the smart stuff. And so you have an awful lot of smart people running companies The question is, can they create value? And value is created by the people who are on the front lines that are implementing the strategy, that are are implementing the process. And in order to really catalyze that, you have to have very strong relational influence. And so what I do find is that um, leaders who, who tend to struggle or who aren't reaching their full potential often just have not developed their relational influence. And so in coaching, that's a lot of what I end up working with. And something you and I've talked about, Roxanne, is um, 
in the now almost 19 years of data I've had on high performers. Um, one of the trends I've seen, um, and it's, it's a very dominant trend um, in high performers, is very, very high drive for self-improvement, you know, looking at what I need to do to improve. And that's very important, and you, you certainly, and it's essential to have as a leader. But also what I've seen is very moderate to low self-appreciation and uh, self-acceptance. And what that tends to translate into is a mindset that is very hypercritical. Mm -hmm. What's going wrong? What do I need to change? And that translates into your leadership style. And so what I found is if you really want to gain relational influence, one of the starting spot places is self-appreciation. And the hardest question that I ask high achievers is, tell me something terrific about yourself. And there'll be a long pause. And, um, you know, there's a sense of a lot of times, well, I'm being arrogant. And, you know, you're certainly not. You're just appreciating the qualities. And if you can appreciate the qualities in yourself, then you can begin to appreciate the qualities in other people. And appreciation is such a, an important cornerstone for relational influence. And, you know, as we look today with the, the studies that are being done, and Gallup has done just a mammoth and groundbreaking study on engagement, and the results are that, that we don't have a high level of engagement in, in corporate America. And one of the reasons is we really are not appreciating the people who are creating the value. And it makes sense because if you're not appreciating yourself, it's not necessarily top of mind to appreciate the people who are, are creating the value. You know, we'll focus on customers and customers are very important to focus on, but it's the people that create the value that really are the root cause to customer satisfaction. What, a, what an interesting concept, because as I listen to you, Logan, it's so, we generally, you're right, we're always front for, uh, facing with the customer and what the customer needs. But what I hear you clearly saying is that if there's not that connection to yourself as uh, a leader, then how are you feeding that through? That's, that's a different way of looking at it from appreciation from a macro level all the way to the front line. And generally we're looking, um, our value-based persons at the front line, we're saying, what is it that they need so that they could be prepared, but not really looking as high up as, a, as, as, a, as the CEO? <laughs> I, um, I've had the benefit of working with um, one of my clients for 15 years, and the CEO of that company is amazing, and he just gets value. And they have extraordinarily low turnover, and they have virtually no um, voluntary turnover in that company. And he really gets... The, um, his commitment to the people and appreciating the, the value and the contribution that they give. And at the same time, he's, he's very confident in, 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 and very accepting of himself. And one of the things I think that's important about acceptance is um, if you think about a high achievers and you say, well, if I accept the fact that I'm not perfect, then um, there's no self-acceptance. And part of self-acceptance is understanding that we're a work in progress and accepting where we're progressing, that we've made gains. Um, I had the, the I, I like to use the metaphor of um, martial arts. And 
Roxanne, as you may, I think most of your listeners know, you get belts in martial arts. You know, you'll get mm -hmm. a, a white belt and a yellow belt and a brown belt and then a black belt. And I was coaching um, a business leader a number of years ago who in um, his, his first experience had been a Navy SEAL. And he had some black belt that I'm sure if, he, if I could pronounce it, he'd have to kill me anyway, so I won't even try. But, <laughs> but he, had, he had such a beautiful sense of self. He's so, so strong on self-acceptance and self-appreciation and just very, very strong, as you can imagine, on, on self-improvement and, and achievement. And uh, I, I asked him, you know, when you got your, your brown belt, how did you feel? And he said, oh, well, I was exhilarated. I had achieved what I had set out to achieve. I had gained some new skills, and now I was positioned for the black belt. Hmm. And so in, I'll ask high achievers, you know, just imagine I'm giving you a brown belt. What are you, what are you thinking about? And most of the high achievers say, I'm thinking about what I have to do to get the black belt. So there's that gap of not just pausing to recognize the gains. Mm -hmm. And if you take that and you translate that to a broader sense of, of growing a company, of leading a company, um, there's, there's a, some wonderful research on appreciative inquiry that's suggesting that we, we actually can increase our profitability by focusing on what's going well and I think more balanced, what's going well as well as, as the challenges. But we don't pause to think in terms of what's going well in the company right now. And so when we aren't thinking about that, we're focused on problems, we're not building as much forward momentum. And um, I think as, as we shift, and this has been my experience, when we can shift our perspective, and look at what's going well and why it's going well, we actually can achieve more. Um, I, I've spent a lot of time over um, several years um, helping build a company in the insurance restoration space. And one of the things that we wanted to do was increase our margins. And the instinct of the, the team that wanted to do that was, well, let's go in and find out why, what people aren't doing. And I said, why don't we find out somebody? Do we have any of these? We had 19 offices. Do we have nine? Is there any office that's getting consistently the margins that we want? Mm -hmm. And there was one office. I said, why don't we go and look and see what they're doing and try to replicate that in the other offices? It's, you know, looking at the root cause of success rather than looking at the problems. And of course, we're going to look at problems and we want to have a balanced view of it. But developing that sense of um, appreciating what's going well and why it's going well and how we do more of it can be um, really catalytic in, in increasing your, your operating profit. I like that word appreciative inquiry. What a nice way to look at it, right? Because I, I see this twofold in, to some degree. With these, a uh, lot of high performance, like you're right, they're driven and uh, you know they're constantly looking to excel. But when they have to stop and reflect on themselves, they're looking at their whole entity of what they bring to the yes to the corporate environment. They is do. That a, is and that a struggle for them, Logan? To for them to look outside of their role um, in the corporate environment to kind of 
build on themselves. I don't know that it's as much a struggle as not having the model. Okay. You know, when you're, you're, when you're going through, I, I just wrote a blog post and um, it, it was, and it's uh, Weiner, who is the head of, of CEO of LinkedIn had a, um, a real shift in his effectiveness. Um, and he talks about it in um, the 2018 commencement address to the Wharton School of Business. And it's a wonderful, wonderful commencement address. And what he's sharing with them, and, and if you think about the audience, these are people who have just spent now years learning the smart stuff about how to grow a company. Mm -hmm. You know, all, what I call business mechanics and invested a lot of dollars in that. And his message to them was, that's all great. But what really makes the difference is compassion. Mm -hmm. And when he learned that, it transformed his leadership effectiveness. He's a very highly rated leader now. But um, a journalist once said that he, I, and I'll paraphrase, he wielded his, his rapier intellect or he wielded his intellect like a rapier, like a sword, you know, and it's, so we have smart people who have not necessarily understood the paradoxical nature of leadership that you have to have the smart, but you also have to have relational influence. Hmm. And I think something you and I share is that really starts with how you relate to yourself. Mm -hmm. because you tend to relate to other people the same way that you relate to yourself. And if, you, if, you're, if you're hypercritical of yourself, which is the tendency of a lot of, of, of leaders and a lot of high performers, then it's natural that you want to treat other people the same way that you're treating yourself, that demanding quality. And a more balanced approach actually creates better, better profitability, in my experience. So that's interesting. So what, when you coach... These high performers, Logan, how is it that you, um, what strategies might you suggest or have them expose themselves to be a bit more compassionate to themselves? Um, actually, I do what I call a 21-day challenge. And um, 21 days tends to get us into the, the beginnings of forming a habit. Mm -hmm. And um, most people have a commute, Roxanne. So one of the things about a habit is you have to have a trigger. And mm. if you think about teaching children to brush their teeth, you, you use time as a trigger. You do it in the morning, you do it in the evening. And so I ask for a trigger. I ask the, um, the person I'm coaching, when you get in your car to go home, pause and think of three things that went well today. Mm. And one quality that you can appreciate about yourself. And I'll explain that one of the ways to access that quality is look at what went well and what about your connection with that helped it go well. That'll give you access to the quality. And do that for 21 days and they actually send me a text and I love getting the texts, but um, it really does then begin to shift and balance how you're looking at your day. And I'll, I'll tell you an amusing story. I, I like this story. I got a call one day from the general manager of a construction company that I, that I coach in Texas. And um, he said, Loomis, I have a bone to pick with you. And I said, okay, what's the bone? And he goes, I had a horrible day yesterday. Everything went wrong. 
And I said, I'm sorry. And he said, and then I got in my car and I couldn't help myself. I had to find three things that went well. And I said, did you do that? And he said, yes. And then I felt better. <laughs> and I didn't want to feel better. And I said, well, do you want me to come to Austin and, and say poor boo-boo? Because I'll do that. And he said, no, 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 I, this, I'm not done with you. And I said, what? And he goes, then I got home. And my wife said, how was your day? And I couldn't genuinely tell her that it was terrible because I had found things that went well. And I said, well, it had its ups and downs. I didn't even get sympathy at home. And I said, okay, I'll be on a plane to say poor boo-boo for you. <laughs> What an amazing it's, story. It's getting, that, getting that shift in your perspective, it's what I, what I think of as a more balanced perspective. You know, certainly he had problems and certainly he was going to work through the problems. And he's excellent at working through the problems. But amidst all of that is the kernels of, of something that's going well. And the more you focus on that, the more you can repeat it. And the more energy you, you build in a company, the more forward motion you build in a company. What a gentle, nice way to have it happen, right? Because I think a lot of times when, when people are in growth mode, they're constantly thinking of tactics and strategies and problems, which is obviously they're high level problem solvers and strategic thinkers. But in listening to the story that you're telling me about this man, what it allowed him to do is to recognize that he did achieve something by, uh, the mere qualities that he used in that day. So it wasn't a failure. It was just that maybe it didn't go, certain things didn't go his way or his perception of the way it should have gone. But what, what actual skills did he use that was helpful? Exactly. And where are the bright spots in the day? And it's not to diminish that you have challenges and high achievers are very good at handling the challenges. But you actually, in my experience and in the experience of the people that I've, I've worked with over the years, the more that you can develop that, that sense of balance, um, the more energized you get, you get your workforce. People, then, people don't, want, you know, don't want to work in a negative environment. They want to work in a positive environment. Mm -hmm. And um, I had, um, when I was um, leading the company, I said that I built in the natural gas industry. We, we had... Um, We'd been in business for several months when the natural gas industry fundamentally changed. It commoditized. And a lot of people will, will complain about commoditization in an industry, but when something actually starts trading as a futures contract, it's totally commoditized. And we were losing money faster than I thought was humanly possible. And we had to change our strategy dramatically and if we were going to survive and our investors, our owners were engaged around the strategy. They said, okay, we'll invest in that strategy, but the strategy and, you know, and I crafted the strategy, but if you will, that's the cheap seat because it's the implementation of the strategy. And one of the things that I learned in that was having people fully committed to an idea, going through something that was very challenging, out of our comfort zone, knowing the, the risk, and I was very transparent about it because there was a very big risk of failure that we'd have to close the doors of this company. And seeing these people engage and feel forward movement and make commitment and turning that around, and we turned it around into a very, very profitable company, 
it was that that positive energy, that commitment, and the value that they felt from the the leaders of the company that um, that turned that around. And that that's really been something that's been so catalytic for me in the way I've thought about how you grow a business. If you can tap into that, it's tremendous. And you know, and just giving people on a day-to-day basis the positives and acknowledging them and acknowledging them not just for their not just recognizing them for a job well done which is which is terrific and we all like that but recognizing the qualities they're bringing the tenacity the the commitment the whatever you can see in them and one of the things that I I do Roxanne um to build that is I ask um my clients to do appreciation journals for their um their key reports think about the things you value about that person and write it down so that you actually have brought them to mind and you can at the appropriate point share it one of my clients did that on his his team um he's the head of of sales for a a company and um it's a, it's an interesting kind of sales they they kind of have an operational quality about them and um the sales people but um I came back and I said, so what did you discover from your journals? And he said that with several of my people, I have a transactional relationship. Mm. And I went, wow. He goes, yep, just let's get it done. I have, I had no sense of who they were or how they contributed. Mm-hmm. And as he shifted that, what's very interesting is, um, and, and, and there are a lot of reasons for this, but I think his shift in leadership has been, a, has, has been a contributing factor, and he would say that as well. But they doubled their, their profitability last year. Hmm. And, you know, and so part of that is leadership. Part of it is obviously strategy. Part of it is, is the market. But um, he does say he doesn't think that they would have achieved as much without his shift in leadership and he no longer um is a transactional leader and what's been very interesting is the ceo of that company has now gotten curious about the change he's seen the change in him and is has gotten curious about appreciation and what that can do for the um the operating profit of a company and you go back again to that that element of you know um you know like I talk a lot about authenticity, but really it's about connection, right? So if you're, I think of performance evaluations, right? And if you put the the appreciation log as part of an appreciate, uh, maybe maybe that's something that's done. I'm not sure. What a different perspective that would completely shift you from transactional to relational. Because then I'm, you know, you know, everybody has that, um, you know, that kind of anxiety behind a performance evaluation in corporate, right? <laughs> but with these appreciation logs, if in some way that could be um, introduced or used as a tool, what a gift that would be to someone that is getting that yearly. It's, it's a huge <laughs> gift. And one of the things that um, I really encourage leaders to do is to have um, drumbeat meetings with their employees, the people they lead. Um, 
their their direct reports and to have it with a level of frequency. And a lot of people will say, well, I talk to them all the time. And it's it's different because you were talking about connection. Mm-hmm. It's having that individual one-on-one connection. And when you're structuring those meetings, it's about your the, the report, not about you. Mm-hmm. And it's about your employee, not about you. And it's really terrific when you start and say, okay, and ask them, what do you think is going well? Why do you think that's going well? And because the tendency is to start talking about problems we have to fix. Right. And to have those, those drumbeat meetings is, um, is just tremendous. And so getting, getting, and just imagine if, if you have a scheduled meeting with your leader and he honors that or she honors that, that it's a commitment on their calendar to, to spend 30 minutes with you to check in to see what's going well and are there areas that you need support and are there areas that we need to improve rather than just going over your tasks and how you're doing. It's a very different way of, of, of engaging around performance mm-hmm. and it makes the, the year-end review um, a very different experience. And, you know, it, it's, uh, I, um, I like, I'm, I'm kind of a geek on looking at old models of leadership. And um, one of the, the ancient models of leadership is shepherding. And so I've, there's an interesting, when you start looking at what shepherds do, and I don't know about you, but I don't know any shepherds personally. So I got kind of curious about, you know, what is, what is this thing with shepherding? And um, there's a there was a really interesting um, article about Basque shepherds because they they shepherd in the way that the ancients shepherded, and um, one of the things they were saying is that sheep want to be engaged with the um, the shepherd on a daily basis individually. They'll each come up to the shepherd individually on a daily basis, and the shepherd will spend a little time with them in this flock and. Uh, and I thought that was really lovely and not, not certainly talking about um, people who are, are building a company as sheep, but just talking about that, that natural instinct that we have to want to be connected individually and in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Not just talking about transactional stuff, but talking about, you know, what's going well and having that touch. And I've really seen it have tremendous impact when people do schedule that touch individually with the people who they're leading. And such a nice warm touch because then you're appreciated for who you are. Yes. What resources you bring, what you're very good at. And then, you know, it, it's kind of like um, you go to the three to one rule kind of thing, positive, positive, positive. Then let's talk about what we need to focus on in reference to problem solving. And generally, yeah. most meetings, you know, in, in a lot of corporate settings, they, they might go to first, like, you, what's not going well? What, what problem do we have and what's in our way? So it's a complete different mindset shift around appreciation first. And I like that whole element um, of connection first. And it's not like you have to know a breadth of things about people, but just to know that people need to know that you care. That's it. And... If you want, if, if you look at, particularly where we are today in, in an, an environment of full employment, it's very, very hard to find people today 
and particularly people who are are talented. And so one of the metrics that um, I really think is is critical for a leader is what is the level of your voluntary turnover Ooh. and it's because that's going to ultimately drive your EBITDA your operating profit mm-hmm. you know so the cost of replacing an employee who is a productive employee is is significant mm-hmm. and um, I, I had a, a, a client I work with has um, just an amazing young man and um, who is in high demand and um, I do some coaching with him, and he um, he got a job offer, and it was a terrific offer, and he said yes, and he came back in to tell my client um, that he was going to change, and um, ultimately decided to rescind his his acceptance of that offer. I said, "What made the difference in your conversation?" And he said, "Well, you know, as I was talking with him, I realized." They genuinely appreciate me here, mm-hmm. not just for what I do, but for who I am. And the money was better in the other place, but I just think I want to work here. And I think that that probably happens a lot more than we realize. And it wasn't because suddenly they're coming in and saying, we value you. It was because they had consistently related to him in a way that he knew that they appreciated him. Mm-hmm. And if we want to have an engaged, loyal workforce, it starts with how we treat people, how we connect with them. And, you know, if they had had, to use the the concept we were talking about earlier, a transactional relationship with him, he would have gone and and concluded that transactional relationship and gone for the, the different job. But he didn't have a transactional relationship. And a commitment to that company. It really has to be an open leader. Let's say someone that's kind of stuck, like you said, in the old archaic models of um, transactional kind of um, approach to business. And they've never or perceive it as a step down to then become relational. That's sometimes tough for people that have done it a certain way. What kind of things do you do with a leader like that? that really kind of doesn't recognize the importance of actually um, de-stratifying, you know, the levels of connection versus the top down, top down kind of impact. What kind of things would you do with someone like that? That's maybe struggling to see the impact um, of relational connection. You know, I, one of the things that that I think um, helps me in that regard is, my business experience. Um, I just relate it to the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And if what your goal is as a leader is to generate profit, then let's talk about the root cause of profit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's why I said, you know, one of the metrics is one of the drivers is voluntary turnover. Mm -hmm. You have people leaving you, you will, it's going to hurt your, your profit. First of all, that's expensive, but also, it's going to impact customer relationships. It impacts mm-hmm. everything. So, so it's really looking at the the hard side of the soft skills and mm-hmm. and understanding that you may you may have a great strategy. Can you implement it? Well, you can't implement it because you've got to have people to implement it. So it's really about the that relationship. And mm-hmm. 
if you want people to give, people will, will give you what you're paying for. What you really want is that discretionary energy, that commitment mm-hmm. from somebody to go above and beyond to have the, and that's where you really start um, accelerating your, your profitability. Go ahead. It's interesting that you say that, right? Like it's, it's, it's sometimes so simple um, to apply these concepts, but it's not easy sometimes if to have someone make that shift. And I I think that's, that's beautifully stated. It's, it's simple, but not easy. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we just don't have a model for it. No one's ever really connected the dots to say, it's how you treat people. There's, as you look at the um, the best companies to work for, the Fortune does that annually, and what you'll see is that they have really stellar profit. And so it's not just oh this is a great place to work, but it, there's a direct correlation between it's a great place to work and your profitability. You know when you think in terms of it's a great place of, to work, I love working here. How do those people relate to your customers? It's mm-hmm. a very different. It's a very different level of commitment because they feel very strongly about what they're doing and the value of what they're doing and that that that's infectious absolutely from the receptionist at the you know uh which is the first contact all the way out to the person uh you know that's you know cleaning the environment if if it's it becomes infectious because you can feel it like when i was in corporate consulting for 15 years Logan, I would say that I would walk in and generally I could tell you the pulse of the type of environment I was entering by my interaction with the, uh, the frontline receptionist. Um, I, I have had the same experience. You, you, there's an energy or a lack of energy in a company. You can feel it. Right. And customers can feel it. Mm-hmm. So I would sit there and chit chat while I was waiting for my, you know, my corporate <laughs> contact to come out and I would get a pulse by the time, let's say it was a new customer or if it was a returning customer, I would generally kind of find out just by sitting there, what was going on, new customer, I can kind of tell what, what the energy was going to be. And generally that would translate out into the, um, the health and wellness concerns that we would trend up quarterly. So we would find out, you know, kind of, of course there's external ex- and internal and external pressures of the actual sector but my role was to um when individuals came forward they would seek psychological services that would keep them away from work and it, it, it it's interesting because i would i would be able to kind of tell um kind of where the areas would be higher based on kind of uh, some of the the interactions i would have not just with the front line but also with my contact with the different boards in the environment and, and those types of things I've had the same experience. I mean, you feel the energy of the company Mm -hmm. and in talking with people they're and you know, when they're energized and this is a great company and we are thrilled to have you here or yes, please, you'll have your meeting. Here comes Mr. Jones or Mrs. Smith. Right. You go, okay, fine. Thank you so much. This is going to be fun. And it goes back to what we were talking about with joy. You know, it's, do you have that kind of engaged culture where people are, are having fun and not just fun in the sense of we're having a party, but, you know, they're enjoying their work. They're enjoying how they're treated. They're fully engaged. They're giving you discretionary energy. And what that then means is that they're out talking to their friends, and those are the people who want to come work for you. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the, the – if, if, you, if you want to recruit a great workforce, 
have a great workforce. Mm-hmm. And so those are some of the things that business school doesn't teach you, but it's what ultimately you have to do to, to build the most vibrant culture that's going to drive the, the highest, even though the highest operating profit. So um, there's, a, there's a strong correlation. Thanks for tuning and in to I Authentic like, Living uh, with Roxanne, uh, creating the space for I mean, positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit RoxanneDurhage.com slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne. Well, it sounds like something I would, I, I'm, I'm going to also tune into. So Logan, this is, um, this has given me a lot of um, perspective uh, just in, in kind of thinking about how I think about uh, connection and authenticity and how that translates into well-being. Because clearly what you're saying is um, leaders come forward because they have skill and they have capacity. But the, the leaders that really excel, like people like Weiner, like you're talking about, are the people that recognize that appreciation in the smallest forms are the best ROI that you can actually do in a company. Uh, that's been my experience. I mean, you clearly have to have all of the, the business mechanics in place. Sure. And you have to have the smart stuff. But um, being smart is just not enough. Um, in this blog post that I just mentioned that I wrote, um, I quote one of my my grandfather-in-law's statements. He was an amazing man, um, one of the most amazing people I've ever met. And I I had the the blessing of having lunch with him um, once a week um, for about a decade. We um, during the period actually I was practicing law and I didn't realize, but I was getting a lot of what was going to help me in business from those conversations. But one of his, his sayings that um, he just repeated so often it became indelibly printed in my memory was to put down everything he knew a thousand books it took and still he didn't know enough to fill a pocketbook. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the relational influence that ultimately you can be very smart, you can do all the right things, but if you don't have the ability to to make the connection with the people that create the value that interface with your customers, you're not going to achieve your full profit potential. Well, well, well said. So Logan, this has been uh, an amazing experience. I knew we would have a, a good talk like we normally do with this limited time that we've spent together. So I'm wondering um, if you have any last words before I let you go and if there's uh, a way that companies or leaders can get a hold of you, um, if, should they want to, to reach out and learn a little bit more about your services? You can, um, you can go to my website, loganlumis.com, L-O-G-A-N-L-O-O-M-I-S.com, and my contact information's on there. You can see the programs, the books. I've got a couple of books that I've written, and um, my blog is there. And um, you can see kind of where my passion is, and um, also the access to the the assessment. So I encourage anybody who wants to talk to reach out to me. My contact um, information is at loganlumis.com. Well, thank you again. And for everyone that tuned in, um, 
it's something as simple as appreciation to, to Logan's point. Yes, you have to have the business tactics and the strategies in place and the, and the smarts, but the smarts without appreciation for your frontline, that really is your value. Um, it's a missed opportunity to be able to uh, enhance your bottom line. So thanks again, everyone. And thanks again, Logan, for uh, calling in. And I uh, look, look forward to connecting with everyone again next week. Roxanne, it's, it's a, always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxannederhage.com slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.